Hi, I'm Neha Gandhi, COO of Girlboss, and your host for this week's episode of Girlboss Radio. On today's show, we're going to talk about something that's highly personal and so important, and that's family planning. Today, U.S. women are delaying having children until later in life. Women's reproductive health is a flashpoint in the news and in conversations between friends and family. We talk to each other about egg freezing, about IVF, and yet most of our insurance doesn't cover either of these things. And we're still knee-deep in a fight for better family leave policies. There's a lot to talk about, but so much of that conversation is reactive, meaning we focus on what we're doing now, if we're trying to get pregnant, if we're struggling to get pregnant, or if we are pregnant. But what about those of us who see a family in our futures and not in our present? How soon should we be thinking about our own fertility, even if we're not planning on having children right now? Should we be worried? Optimistic? What information do we need to get smarter about our own health? We're going to hear from Afton Veshery, co-founder and CEO of Modern Fertility. It's a company that's taken the standard blood tests that you would normally get at a fertility clinic and made them available by mail. The goal, Afton says, is to empower women to have more information about their own fertility so we can all make informed decisions about our family planning goals. Our view is that if we are able to build a company that is based on education and information and trusting women, like that will be the company that that lasts. At the end of the day, you know, when we I think back to even the pregnancy test. When it was invented, doctors didn't think women could handle finding out that they were pregnant themselves from home. Our view is that women can handle this information. Women deserve to have access to this information in a really easy way. And that the, the companies that are aligned in those values, like that's what's really important. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio the show for and about ambitious women, exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. Here's my conversation with Afton Veshery of Modern Fertility. Hi, Afton Veshery. Thank you so much for joining us on Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. Amazing. I want to talk about the product itself and what you guys do and how the idea came about. Um, Let's start with the test. Can you explain sort of for everyone who's listening what happens when you pick up, you pay $199, you pick up a modern fertility box or you place an order online? Yeah, so uh, it is $159 now, which is uh, uh, our, our whole mission is really focused on accessibility. And so when I got this testing done, I was charged $1,500 out of pocket. And so a huge part of what we're trying to do is it's uh, open this type of, of testing up to half the population, as opposed to historically um, just the, the women that would get it when they were, were having issues and, and pass all of those savings on to our, our customers. And so the way that it works is is just like that. You um, come to our website, modernfertility.com, and request a test. Uh, you can either go to a Quest Diagnostics facility in 47 states, um, or you can test at home. Uh, we mail you a, a test with everything that you need to, to collect a, a blood sample through a finger prick, and you mail that back to our lab. Uh, from there, your samples are processed, and you get them back within a, a few days. And the modern fertility experience includes customized age and result-specific reports on up to eight key fertility hormones. 
accounts. Uh, we also have a weekly webinar that we call an Aganar, uh, a one-on-one consult with a, a fertility nurse and access to our, our community of, of women, the, the matriarchy, to, to talk about uh, what what all of this, this means with, with your peers. And uh, for fertility hormone testing, you can kind of think about uh, hormones as your fertility detectives. They help you understand where your uh, reproductive health is today. Uh, we can identify red flags. We can help you understand uh, more about menopause onset. We can help you understand success in IVF and egg freezing. And we can use all of that information to help you uh, understand more about your reproductive health and make the decisions that are right for you in a way that's very uh, proactive as opposed to the reactive way that our current healthcare system is designed today. That's amazing. I mean, I think it's also super interesting because, I mean, when you look at the stats around IVF, it's almost, you know, it's largely something that's undertaken by and done by white women. And when you look at fertility and sort of the spectrum of challenges that women face, that's not the case. Actually, a lot of women of color have fertility issues. They have high maternal mortality issues. Like there are so many sort of challenges facing these communities. And I think those are also the communities that aren't getting access to the kind of testing that you're talking about here. Is that part of the purpose? Is that something that you're seeing you're having an impact on? Yes, I, I think that, that that sums it up amazingly. The the biggest gap that we see in this space today is really education. Um, the the way I, I've talked about it before is, you know, we we rightfully uh, gave ourselves control of our reproductive timelines. You know, in the seventies when when birth control was invented, but we didn't understand, uh, you know, with with birth control the the impact that that would have on our overall decision making process as it related to our potential future families and. So so we're waiting later to, to start those families. And so historically, um, you know, if you're you're starting to have kids at a, a younger age, you're not you're not experiencing any of those age related uh, effects that, that hormones can help us tell so much more about. And so uh, because our biology hasn't changed, because we're waiting until later in life to start our families, uh, we need more information up front. And ethnicity plays a, a huge role on um, the, the age of menopause onset is different for women of different ethnicities. For American women, the average age of menopause is 51 years old. You start to, to go through that, that menopausal transition up to 10 years before that. So let's say uh, for some women, it starts at 40. Not everyone, but, but some women. Uh, let's say you're at risk for early menopause onset. So at uh, 47 as opposed to 51. Then at 37, your body's starting to go through those same effects that we have in our, our mind as, as 40. And uh, for the, the modern woman today, she... Uh, deserves to know more than her ability to have kids right now. She deserves to understand what her reproductive career looks like and have more data points around it to make the decisions that are right for her. Um, I love the idea of more data points. I think something that was very shocking to me when I like embarked on my own fertility journey was that you know, I really thought that you go in, you get all these tests, and you learn things that are very unique to your body and then you you get solutions that are going to be based on what those deficits are what are what those challenges are and what ended up being the case was that everyone gets the same tests you get some proxy metrics and then they say okay this is the spectrum of solutions make a choice and i'm curious about sort of the experience of what you get back from modern fertility like is there more nuance in the process or is there just not more nuance possible in the process? 
That's a that's a great question. And so, you know, when we originally launched the the fertility hormone test that you could take at home, we wanted it to be on par uh, with exactly the the same type of testing that you would get done in the the clinic, and really um, use use our, our our company and and this access point to to take that conversation that you would have with a physician around your your reproductive health and, and hormones, and and simplify it, <laughs> put it into you know human speak. We we say our voices are you know your OBGYN that happens to be your best friend and is just telling it to you like it like it is. Uh, and a, a huge part of, of that focus was really, you know, backing it in the, the science and uh, helping you understand uh, what these tests could and, and could not tell you. But I, I think you're you're exactly right in that there's still things that we don't know about fertility. Uh, we're participating and, and actually give customers the option to consent to allow their data to be anonymously used to further women's health research so we can take all of these factors and look into better predictors of future fertility. Uh, but today what we're doing is looking at this type of testing and, and helping you have a more informed conversation with your doctor. So uh, for example, you know, one in 10 women have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's one of the leading causes of, of infertility. Uh, birth control is used in a lot of cases to treat PCOS and it masks a lot of the the symptoms. Uh, but let's say you're you're on birth control for your your whole life. You stop taking birth control. Uh, one of the the symptoms of PCOS is irregular ovulation or being anovulatory, so not ovulating. And so if uh, you you know we spend our uh, most of our adult lives pr uh, preventing pregnancy, and then there's this almost immediate transition to to trying. And you know what is that space in the the middle? How do you understand where your body is? Proactively, so you can start to have these data points to to understand more about that transition. And so, uh, two of the hormones that we test for, anti-malarian hormone and testosterone, aren't uh, you, you don't use those hormones to diagnose PCOS. But what they can do is combined with this this checklist of diagnostic criteria. It's called the Rotterdam criteria. Those hormones can act as an extra lens to understand more about your reproductive health beforehand. So you can be empowered. You can understand where your body is and start to to transfer that into the the planning process, so we really think of of modern fertility as you know evolving to be something that's really like your your um, your your partner. We're going to help you navigate this process and and get that those data points and help you understand what they mean, so you can have that more informed conversation with your doctor. I want to go back to the home tests, which um, for better or worse, the moment you said there's a single finger prick, all I could think about was, is it a single drop of blood? Is <laughs> I, I couldn't help but have the Theranos sort of example pop up in my mind. And I'm A, wondering how often you get that, and B, what's the difference? Like, How are those things not the same? I'm glad that you went there. I think, you know, day one and uh, uh, definitely in the initial conversations that we had with our investors, it was it was a lot of education. So um, my first answer to that question, whenever I get it, is is one, fraud is, is bad. Uh, just don't. <laughs> Every entrepreneur should be <laughs> making sure that they have the ethical lines in, in place and, and understand, you know, where those are for their, their companies. Um, and second, it's really, um, we are not 
inventing a new type of testing technology. We're not inventing a new box. Uh, we are taking minimally invasive testing, which has been around for many, many decades, and we're transferring it to, to women's health. And we were the first company to do that in a comprehensive way. Uh, but that idea of, of full transparency and full disclosure and, and doing something that is truly aligned with our, our end customers, uh, that was in our, our DNA from the, the start. So uh, what we, we did from day one is we did a full uh, what's called a concordance study showing that a traditional blood draw could be used interchangeably with the, the finger prick uh, that we're, we're using uh, and that the, the results were the same. And we published the results of that study uh, in the premier journal, uh, academic peer-reviewed medical journal for uh, gynecologists. Uh, it's called the Green Journal. Uh, that was reviewed in the New England Journal of Medicine. And we presented the results of that study on stage for a prize presentation at the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. So everything that we've done from the start of the company has truly been based in, in clinical science, aligned with the medical community. And I believe that it's that... Uh, foundation and, and science and trust that's allowed us to to scale the way that that we have. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yes, no, it's a it's a great question, and I I think that you know women uh, consumers we need to be asking ourselves uh, and we need to be asking companies these types of questions because I I think it is so there's a lot of activity that's happening in in women's health right now, uh, and I I think with some of those business models they're they're not always aligned with women, and so I think it's very important that we have transparent open conversations about uh, these technologies about the decisions that we're we're making so that we can make sure that you know the these companies are aligned with our best interests. Obviously you have science on your side, but how do you go about convincing investors? Like how early did you guys raise into your process? Was it when you were working on that one MM spreadsheet <laughs> or later on? Like how long did it take before you went out and raised? Yeah. So when I, um, previous to, to starting Modern Fertility, I was running the, the consumer tools division at, at 23andMe. And when I quit 23andMe, I gave myself a specific amount of, of months and, and runway that um, I was putting all of my, my own savings into the company. And I knew the point in time where uh, I, I needed to either you know get another job or, or raise money. And so uh, I, I did set that point um, several months in the, the future because I, I knew I wanted to be able to to have as much data as I I could have because that would give the the company uh, in this opportunity the the best shot at, at succeeding and so I would say a, a few months in we we had the idea we were kind of on the the cusp of launching our our beta uh, and that's where we started uh, talking to investors uh, and we applied to to Y Combinator an incubator uh, in, in San Francisco um, or I guess Palo Alto Silicon Valley um, at the same point in time and you know. In those initial investor meetings, I would say you know, femtech and, and women's health, uh, it was just, this was a couple of years ago, it was at a different point. There weren't a ton of companies that were being invested in. And so I had a lot of investors saying, oh, this is this is interesting. Uh, let me go home and ask my, my wife, my partner, my girlfriend, uh, and, and get back to you. And, you know, it's really, when you hear that, you're like, okay, well, in my board meetings, is, is this what you're going to say? And so, uh, so... Are you bringing your wife to the board meeting? Right. Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> and so I 
I think there were, though, investors that, uh, you know, we walked in and immediately they understood. They saw the problem. They saw the opportunity and they were aligned with our, our vision. Uh, they had questions, but those questions uh, were good questions. And it actually forced us uh, fairly early on to, to just go get more data. So they were like, how many people will do what do people think about this? How many people will buy this? And we actually self-funded our, our own research to support the questions that they were asking before we had this, you know, full blown um, beta and product in the market. It feels a little bit like you prepped really well. You've done a lot of planning. You have the right background. It feels almost like it's been really easy, this journey. Is that the case? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I I think, you know, starting starting a company at, at this scale, I mean, it is the the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but it's the the thing that I'm I'm the most proud of. I I fundamentally believe that every woman should have access to proactive fertility hormone screening. This should be as routine as a, a Pap smear, and so th- this has been such a journey. But the way that I, I think about it is, is I don't I don't even think about the what's hard or what doesn't go well in a single day or the number of knows that you get when you're you're fundraising it's truly focused on like this this just has to exist and my job is to do everything i possibly can with every second of my my day to to turn this into a reality to allow more women to have this information about their bodies and so i think that 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 true belief in our our end goal uh, around both this product and our broader vision for reproductive health and, and women's health like that's what keeps it going and and i think that 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 mental stance there's there's going to be times where it's it's really challenging but always having that as a, a grounding aspect has been has been really helpful yeah do you have any examples of just moments that have felt like potential turning points yeah i mean oh my gosh uh you know, I, I think some of the most exciting moments are when uh, you have a customer that uh, finds you at a conference or uh, you have a, a story from a customer of how they they wrote in and found uh, that they, you know, had had a, a condition that they were able to to screen for using modern fertility. They were able to uh, share that with their doctor and how this piece of information changed their perspective. Uh, I, I think some of the the most compelling motivating stories like that, that's what keeps us us going every day is just what happens when you place information in the hands of, of women and how that can just create a better world. I, I think that reproductive health is truly the the last frontier in terms of, of total equality. And we have to start from this place of, of information and education to, to make that possible. Yeah, it definitely feels particularly that way today. What do you say to the people who, um, I, and I've heard this thread of criticism in a few places now, but this idea that like femtech companies are somehow exploiting the fears and anxieties of women, particularly around spaces 
concerning their health. I, I think, you know, from the start, we truly approach uh, fertility hormone testing from a place of, of education and wanting women to understand more about their bodies to, to make the decisions that were right for them. And uh, we decided day one, we would never use fear-based marketing to uh, promote uh, what we were doing. And I, I don't think that that's the case across the, the board. Uh, we don't talk about your biological clock ticking. And uh, <laughs> if I have to see uh, another ad that tells me that, no, it's about uh, understanding your body and education and information. And our view is that if we are able to build a company that is based on education and information and trusting women, like that will be the company that that lasts. At the, the end of the day, you know, when we I think back to even the pregnancy test, when it was invented, doctors didn't think women could handle finding out that they were pregnant themselves from home. Our view is that women can handle this information. Women deserve to have access to this information in a really easy way. And that the, the companies that are aligned in those values, like that's, that's what's really important. So I'm a big fan of eating healthy, but I'm actually really terrible at it in practice. It's just so challenging to meal prep. It's just so challenging to make time to eat consistently. And it's really hard to not go to the taco stand across the street for every single meal. I actually find that Sakara is a great tool that helps me do all of that a lot better without having to think about it too much. They make organic, ready-to-eat meals with nutritious and delicious plant-based ingredients that are designed to help you feel great about what you're putting in your body. They have meal programs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they come straight to your door in these really nicely packed containers that fit really neatly into my refrigerator. That's why I'm actually a really big fan of Sakara. It's a meal program that basically delivers breakfast, lunch, and dinner to your door one week at a time and lets you plan ahead without having to do too much work. Plus, along with your meal, Sakara sends some probiotics and some teas that really help round out my wellness regimen for the day. And the Sakara meals are specifically designed to enhance your energy, which is something that I'm always thinking about, but not doing a great job managing for myself. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners $60 off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash girlboss. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash girlboss to get $60 off your first order. Sakara.com slash girlboss. So you studied neuroscience and business in college, and then you had a series of roles on the business side, on the strategic side, and then on the product side before you started this business. And this business is a combination of working with science and obviously running a business. It feels a little bit like you sort of plotted the perfect path to get here. And I'm wondering how much of the experiences you were acquiring on the way to building this business were intentional and how much of it was that the experiences shaped you. I have always been obsessed with the intersection of science and business. I uh, went to, to college and I studied neuroscience and business and really split my time between the two. I ended up starting, a, again, a couple companies in, in college that were focused on that intersection. Uh, and then from there, continuing to find opportunities that were really focused on taking science and translating it to to people in a way that could really benefit them. Got it. So adding business to science really was about bringing it out of the lab and making it livable to you. Correct. Yeah, I think that, you know, for my entire life, uh, I, I've just always been 
passionate about if if there is something that needs to exist in the world and I I fundamentally believe that with with all of my being I I just I, I've taken the step to, to do something about it. And, and that was really the same uh, with modern fertility. I was exposed uh, to a lot of the business and science behind all of, of reproductive health, the, the fertility space, uh, based on I, I ended up um, after college going into healthcare private equity. So I was leading the, the diligence in a roll-up of IVF clinics and labs. And so it was through that process I learned the business. I also learned the science. Uh, but really it was the emotional aspect that stuck with me and kind of all of those um, concepts coming together, I had the the base to really think about what is the the biggest gap that exists and how could I personally uh, create the change that I wanted to see in the world and, and do something about it. There's a running thread here of intention. You had that experience at the science fair and you learned something and you wanted to do more. And it feels like you have had sort of a drive and like a clear sense of how to follow your or set and follow intention really from a young age. Where does that come from and how can other people harness it? I think back to, yeah, the the early days. I grew up in, in Maryland in kind of a suburban or rural area. And I remember um, learning about this thing called internships. And I, I should get an internship before I go to, to college. Um, and I remember uh, finding out about engineering and not really knowing what it was, but saying, oh, this this sounds really interesting. This sounds like something I should try to do. But I uh, And so I found an internship. It was unpaid. And I needed gas money to get there. So I just I figured out the, the highest paid job I could get for my my age and my my community, which at the time I thought was working at Pizza Hut and uh, just working uh, after school and, and weekends uh, to, to be able to do both. And so it was really just finding a thing, deciding like, oh, I, I want to, to do it and then just saying, yeah, like I'm just I'm going to do it. And so I think that the, the common thread, I, I think that what I've realized is that the most important thing to, to me uh, and what's allowed me to continue to do these things is the contract I have with myself. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to, to do it. I'm going to value that commitment that I've made to myself. And I, I really think that we, we have so many choices with how we spend our time and spending your time doing things that you truly believe in, you're going to do those things so much better. And it's, uh, it, it's just, it, it's a beautiful way to, to spend time. It is a beautiful way to spend time. How do you think about goal setting? I mean, like certainly on like a philosophical level, but also on a day-to-day level, because that idea of a contract with yourself is really meaningful, but then doing it on a level where you can actually follow through is hard. That makes me think back to the the early days of, of modern fertility. So the the early days of modern fertility were uh, me and my my co-founder Carly sitting in a room um, and and creating modern fertility. So going from zero to one is this crazy process. You you have this this thing, this idea that you want to build, and you just you're you're doing it. Um, so what we did is we had this this document called uh, hashtag mm mind meld. And what we would do is we would literally list out everything that we were doing in a given day, uh, and we draw we'd have like a line on that list, and we'd rank prioritize the list, and just we we wouldn't go to bed until both of us had 
completed everything that was on our list for the day. And uh, on top of that, that list was mapping. I, I really like science. And so everything is uh, structure was really important to me. So we had a, a Gantt chart, uh, which is basically like the, the things you need to do with the number of my, uh, amount of time that they take. And we linked dependencies. And so we had a, a Gantt chart with just every single thing that we needed to do to be able to, to launch our initial product. And so taking that list, mapping it back to the daily responsibilities and just having this this bar of excellence of every single thing that we would do on that list would be had to meet that bar. Uh, we days went by, weeks went by, and and we were building. And uh, yeah, we just we didn't stop. That's I love the idea. I mean, I love a good Gantt chart. <laughs> but wait, you're talking about there's a line on the list though. So are there certain a certain number of things that go above the line and more things that go below the line that just don't make the cut or? Exactly. So I think it's it's really important to like a in a startup in any company in your your life you're going to have all of these ideas and I think this element of prioritization is really important because you need to be able to to maintain that high level of excellence and push yourself really hard but there are some things that just shouldn't make that that line. So I actually I have a backup structure um, before I make the list and I have three buckets. I have P1s, priority ones, priority twos. And then a third list that's not doing. And so I, I think it's really important to feel like every idea that you have has a home because then it, it facilitates this type of of creative thought process, this this dreaming of, of what could be. Uh, and, and you give yourself the space to do that. And so I think this idea of, okay, what is my priority one? What are the things that have to happen to make, make this a reality? Uh, what's priority two, the things that I'm going to do, you know, after P1 is complete, and then not doing just this this space for for ideas, for concepts, for for things to exist that you're you're not doing. And, and, and that list is almost the most important because it takes a lot of, of, of self-control and, and foresight to really decide, you know, what goes on that list and, and when does it come off. Yeah, for sure. You want to do everything yeah. every day. What's the maximum number of P1s you can have? I think, you know, I've always tried to stretch that line. I don't think that there's a set number, and I think that it changes uh, for for me as the business evolves. So at the, you know, when you're when it's two people in a room, your P1 list is is really really long. There are literally so many things that you have to do, you have to execute on in a given day to to meet your goal. But as you start to, you know, potentially hire a team, have other people in the room, uh, you have kind of the the table stakes part of of your role in the job, the the management, um, the you know, for a CEO, uh, fundraising, hiring, uh, and then you're you're kind of doing. You're an individual contributor. You're you're making things to a, a slightly lesser degree, and hopefully that should go down over time because you're, you're hiring people that are a lot better than you at doing every single one of those things. And so I've I've really tried to to purposefully lower the list of of P ones that I'm actually doing, but instead make them a, a little bit more conceptual in terms of of goals and business milestones that I'm doing everything that I can to, to focus towards. And that's a great point you bring up about sort of the kinds of people that you hire, especially in those early days. Like people have to be really excellent, but you also have to have this sort of innate trust with them. What was your hiring process like for those first, let's call it like three to five hires? 
So uh, day one, um, I knew that I wanted a co-founder that uh, was able to turn modern fertility into something that women wanted to consume. Uh, Fertility is this uh, historically very stigmatized topic, and uh, the only thing that's existed within our healthcare system is infertility. So taking that, flipping the dialogue to something that women uh, should feel empowered about, something that women should, should want to own, it was really important to me that from day one, I, I had a co-founder that was just uh, ha- had spent her career obsessing over just that. So uh, Carly is amazing. She uh, started her career at, at Digitas on kind of the traditional brand side. She went over to, to Google and led the grass uh, creative and branding for the, the grassroots efforts to get businesses in 20,000 cities across the U.S. online, then went over to, to Uber, the Uber uh, experiments to, division, doing all of the, the creative and branding on, on the Uber experience experiments starting with with Uber Eats. And so that from day one, the kind of pair of, of my background and more of the the science and, and her background on the, the creative branding side was just the, the perfect combination. From day one, uh, we knew that we were doing something um, that we needed to be incredibly aligned with the medical community. So from day one, I knew that we needed to have a lot of physicians around the table. Uh, and as a, an early stage company, as a company that doesn't exist yet, it's it's really hard to get physicians to to talk to you, to spend their time <laughs> engaging with you, and then to, to align themselves with the idea that you you have for, for what you want to, to build. Build and, and introduce into the the space. Uh, so there was a, a huge amount of time that, that we spent from day one recruiting the the best uh, physicians from across the U.S. and world to to kind of combine forces with us to turn fertility into something that was very reactive to, to very proactive. So I would say that that, that was the initial base. Um, and then from there, we hired someone to focus on customer support and community. So creating a, a space for women to be able to, to talk to us, to to engage with us, to, to facilitate that, that communication. Uh, and then uh, we started hiring scientists. <laughs> so uh, that that was kind of the the initial initial group in the room and oh I'm forgetting Tom so our our founding engineer and what about your hiring process today uh, what do you look for like what can someone do who someone who is like aching to work for modern fertility today who's maybe listening what do they do to set themselves apart yeah I think I think it's a crazy decision to join a startup I mean it is it is this crazy environment where you're you're working so hard every day to build this thing that you just truly believe needs to exist in the the world and so i think for for anyone wanting to work at, at modern fertility wanting to work at another startup it's it's really showing you know what for for this role how am i going to to pursue it and you know what about the things that i've done in in my past can i i translate to this experience translate to, to women's health. We have a, a team, some of which have backgrounds in healthcare, some of which that don't. And I think it's really that diversity of perspective that lets us build the the things that that we want to to build. And so I think finding folks that are curious, that have that uh, just intellectual curiosity, and always asking why and getting to the root of a problem. I think um, grit, uh, humility, just th- those are three of our, our core values, and and that's uh, really really a, a big part of the the interview process for us. Do you share those values in the interview process? You know, we 
we need to do a better job of that. I think that um, some candidates, I, I think that you know, are, are coming out of a different role that want to work for a mission-driven company. They they spend a lot of time during the interview process and in trying to understand, you know, what is the culture? Um, why do people work here? Uh, what is what is the environment? And so, Carly and I spent a, a lot of time at the beginning of the the company just defining what those values were. I think you know we say all the time we we quit our jobs to go build something for women by women. And I, I think that it, it really kind of um, infuses into the, the culture of the company. We have a, a neon sign in our office that says, we trust women. It motivates every product decision that we make where we're really, uh, we, we trust women. We trust that they can handle this information. We trust that they want to know that this information, that they'll they'll come at it from this empowered stance. And, and that uh, really motivates all of the, the decisions that we make and uh, is also the, the core philosophy behind the, the team that we're building. We'll get back to my conversation with Afton in just a second, but first, I want to tell you about Skillshare. I was so inspired a few weeks ago when I was talking to Shivani Soroya, the founder of Tala, about how she thinks about learning as a lifelong journey. That's so true, and it makes me so grateful for tools like Skillshare that allow learning to really continue at every turn. You can take classes on Skillshare in everything from illustration to graphic design to marketing to productivity, and even web development. So whether you're picking up a new skill for your day job or figuring out how to start your side hustle, Skillshare is a great place to pursue your passions. I'm really excited to take a class called Microsoft Excel Essentials. It's a great way to sharpen my Excel hacks and shortcuts and just get a little bit better at building models, whether that's a financial model or a data model, which I use all the time in my job. And I'm really excited to share that Skillshare has a special offer just for all of you. That's right. Skillshare is offering Girlboss listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. That's two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes just for Girlboss listeners. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com boss. Again, that's Skillshare.com boss to start your two months for free now. Skillshare.com slash B-O-S-S. I want to talk a little about ShipStation. Mm, oh, my man. favorite. ShipStation's our favorite. Because we have so many entrepreneurs, side hustlers, small business owners, whatever you consider yourself, listening to Girl Boss Radio, which is why ShipStation is so important. It is the fastest and easiest way to manage and ship your orders all from one place. I wish I had this when I was an eBay oh seller, when I was a small business owner. It gets much more complicated after that. Uh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to have a small business and manage your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And speaking of managing your lifestyle, ShipStation makes that possible. Uh, They work with Shopify, Squarespace, Mm -hmm. Etsy, and over 75 other popular selling channels. And you can manage it from any device, even from your phone. And they create labels for all the top carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. It's super simple. You'll ship more with less time and with the best rates available. So you don't have to go on three different websites to figure out. And Maggie, we, we use it here, right? Yeah, we sure do. We use it all the time. We're shipping things day by day, hour by hour, and it can be really hard to track things 
just due to human error. You know, you can be as specific and particular about things, but there's so many labels that you end up sometimes accidentally messing things up or mixing them up. So ShipStation makes it so easy because their labels are so detailed. They have exactly what you need to ship. And if you're selling with Shopify or Squarespace or any of these selling channels, it literally just sucks in the information that your customer types in for their checkout instead of you having to read do it exactly so yeah mm-hmm. human error mm-hmm. bye 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 <laughs> thanks but no thanks so right now try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our promo code girlboss so don't wait go to shipstation.com and before you do anything else click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in girlboss that's shipstation.com enter girlboss shipstation make, make ship happen, happen. I want to talk about your advice to other women who want to build something maybe in the healthcare space or maybe just want to build something great. What is sort of the most surprising lesson you've learned along this journey? I think really talking to your customers and understanding what they want is is hugely important. You know, we uh, you hear all the time in, in tech companies about the, the funnel and just um, – you know, giving people what they want and making it as easy as possible to to purchase. Uh, but our customers are our planners. These women uh, are, you know, my my peers. They want to know what's going on in their bodies. They want all of the education. They want all of the. They want every stone unturned. They want to understand the science. They want to understand our clinical studies. They want to understand uh, our medical advisory board. And uh, I, I think for for us, it was just truly like trusting our gut and realizing that uh, this is the way. Way that women want to consume this information and designing an experience that really w- was based on that. So I want to talk about hard work, which it sounds everything you've told me makes it very clear that you've been working really hard on building this business and you've been really thoughtful about how you've planned it. But, you know, you're telling me about sort of these like lists where you're like, you don't go to sleep until it's done. That sounds incredibly, it sounds all consuming. How do you carve out time that's not about work or time to sort of fulfill yourself in a way that allows you to keep running. I think it's something that that I struggle with. I, I think that it's it's important that you that when you go from from zero to one. I, I feel like startups are often glamorized, but it's a lot of really hard work. I think that you know, being obsessed with what you're doing and truly enjoying it, it makes it not feel like work. And so I think for me, it was the transition of, you know, I, I'm okay with the fact that that I work a lot because I, I love it. But I also think that having a, a support system and having time away is really important because it, it helps to put everything in, in perspective. I, I think when you're building a company, you're you're in the in the weeds, but you also need to to be out of the weeds and, and having time away helps with that perspective. And so for me, uh, some of my, my favorite things, I, I go on a, a bike ride with a girlfriend, a sunrise bike ride every every Wednesday before work. And for me, it's just this this time that's a, a step away to, to think through everything. And I think truly trying to be as present as possible in the moments that I have uh, away from work, uh, that has been a, a big transition for, for me and really kind of embracing all of those moments and, and understanding their value. How do you keep your energy up? Oh, gosh. <laughs> 
Um, you know, I think that it's a it's a combination of of trying to exercise, trying to eat better, uh, and really understanding the things in the day that give me energy and the things in the day that take my energy away. And so I think that um, you know, as you you uh, move through your career, uh, you as you understand, you know, does talking to a big group does that that give me energy or does that take it away from me? Being on interviews back to back is that um, is that really exciting or or does that take it out of me? And really being intentional and understanding and even designing your day in a way where you uh, it's a conscious decision whether you have internal meetings in the morning or the the afternoon. And I think we we all don't have the the luxury to, to make that that possible, but um, in whatever profession, just understanding what takes energy, what gives you energy, and just trying to be thoughtful about the way that you you spend your time. What does success mean to you right now on a personal level, sitting where you are today? For me, it's comes back to this contract that I have with myself. I like to look back at every day and truly feel like I uh, spent my time doing the the things that were the most impactful for the mission that we have as a, a company. And I derive a lot of value from that. And so uh, for for me, uh, women's health and reproductive health is is how I spend you know all of my time. Uh, so doing that in a, a way uh, that lets us meet our our vision uh, that that is hugely important to me. Uh, the only thing that that ticks above that is the relationships that I have with with family and friends. I, I think that without those types of relationships, uh, again, it goes back to the the headspace. You just you you have to have a very firm foundation, especially when you're doing something that's so emotional, uh, to to be able to engage and and bring your your full self to to those endeavors. And so that's the the kind of rank priority that I, I have with the, the two. Yeah. I want to do a quick speed round before we wrap up about just the advice that you have to give women, basically. Okay. So um, what's the one bit of advice that you consistently find yourself giving on those Sunday calls to other founders? Uh, get more data. Often we have hypotheses, we have feelings, uh, but there's a way to quantify that in a straightforward way. There are amazing uh, survey tools. There's, you know, Mechanical Turk. There are ways that you can actually quantify some of those hypotheses, and especially in areas where the investors that you're pitching to uh, might not be users of your product. It's really important to uh, show instead of tell. Your best advice for choosing a co-founder? So two things. I think that... It's really important that you have complementary skill sets. I think with Carly and my myself, um, when we get into a, a room, we both come at a problem with entirely different perspectives, and we get to a better solution because of that. I think it's really easy to choose uh, a co-founder that has a, a similar background than you do because it's like, oh my gosh, we're agreeing on all of these things. Look at how much faster we can move. But as the business starts to get more complex, I think it's really helpful to have that diversity of, of perspective. And I think that the second part is is really just being able to spend every waking hour of every day with that person. You should know if you get energy from that person. You should understand who that person is, what their values are, and how they make decisions, and really trying to spend as much time as possible with that person up front before you decide to to become co-founders, to, to make that commitment. Uh, I think it's, it's so important. What's the first thing you do every morning? 
press news too many times. Many? I, oh, gosh. Uh, between probably three and ten. I found um, I used to have a lot of guilt around doing this, uh, but I found that actually in the morning, um, before I get out of, of bed, I, I'm way too glued to my phone, that sometimes having time to just think through things, right when I, I wake up without my, my phone, before I have my, my cup of coffee, I've come to really value that time. And so... Uh, yeah, it's a, a love-hate relationship with snooze. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Afton, for joining us today. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a, a pleasure to be here. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Before you go, though, I have to ask for a quick favor. If you have a minute, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. The more recent reviews we have, the easier it is for new listeners to find the show and discover us. That's it for now. Thanks so much and talk soon.